shot. That was loud. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Flicks in a Six. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanza. With me, forever and always, the man, the myth, the boy wonder to my Batman, Alessandro Bielsi. Okay, okay. You'll take, take it? it? He'll take I don't it. like being the sidekick, but... I, I'm just older. <laughs> so, so you get <laughs> to be that's Robin. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> Dibs. Um... Also, I request that at an undetermined time you call me the Big Wrench. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to add it to the list. I don't want it to be next episode, but maybe It'll, a few it, weeks. We'll just pepper it in there like four or five episodes down the line. Yeah. Um, like kind of re-surprise me because I'll definitely forget about that. Yeah. You want to go ahead and let the listener know, listeners know why we're going to be calling you the Big Wrench? <laughs> That's right. They can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> no. <you> so, <laughs> so we had some technical difficulties with my opener, um, namely that it wasn't going to open the beer. So I called an audible and I found, um, well, a gigantic adjustable wrench. Like... This thing's a good 8, 18, 18 inches long, probably weighs five pounds. You could definitely commit heinous murders with this. Heinous. Um, and that's what I used to open my beer. It's way, way unnecessary, but it got the job done. That's what matters. Now, question. Um, you have other beer openers. Not. You are a this. man of the beer. Yes, uh, but this is the only opener that I have on this floor. I have like. 37, one floor up. And I didn't want to go <laughs> oh, <laughs> You know man. that this family enjoys alcohol. So. That's why I'm wondering why you needed to go to a wrench. Because it was on this floor. I didn't want to go upstairs. So lazy. <laughs> I mean, we've already like procrastinated like 40 minutes getting this episode started. So. Fair. Um, before we get into uh, the beer that we're drinking, a little quick note here. Um, this is the first one of our first episodes that we're going to the well for. Um we have uh, there's, there's nothing there's nothing new that we really want to discuss right now, so we figured we'd go back to uh back to the list of our favorite movies, and uh, I uh, suggested this one to Al this past weekend, and that is we haven't okay. recorded anything about The Dark Knight, which is definitely in my top ten, more likely in my top three. Spoiler alert, might be my top movie, <laughs> but sure. um, yeah, uh, I don't know um where exactly it's not in my top three. It's it's probably not in my top five. It would be in the 10 to 15 range. Fair. Fair. Respectable. But Respectable I, I mean, I love this the movie. List. Yeah, uh, so The Dark Knight will be our flick for this episode. But first, Al, what are we drinking? Uh, we are drinking, at Anthony's request, uh, the Kona Big Wave Golden Ale from uh, Hawaii. Um, I had the pleasure of drinking a bunch of Konas. I don't think I drank this one um, when I was in Hawaii uh, six months ago. Um, so, uh, let's tell you a little bit about this beer and about this brewery. Um, we have, uh, on the bottle it says, year-round, the waves that roll onto Hawaiian beaches are some of the best in the world. Catch the crest of a breaking wave and ride it all the way in. <laughs> Our sun-drenched big wave golden ale is a smooth brew, inspired by what makes Hawaii great. Catch a wave. Catch a wave, indeed. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I can make that better. There you go. That almost was that was almost a shattering of the glass. Just so you know, <laughs> that could have been bad. I'm I'm glad you did not get glass in your beer. No, we you, you do what you got to do, right? We're recording this again via Skype, but we're gonna make it work. Put your beer in a glass. Don't put your glass in the beer. Fair, fair. 
So I'm going to read you a little stuff that's on the uh, box of six-pack, too, because uh, I want to. Hmm. Um, so it says the Hawaiian sweet spot. They give you a fun little map of Hawaii, all its attendant islands. It says uh, the waves in Hawaii are legendary. In the winter months, the islands north and west coasts see big waves that often climb to 40 feet, with huge curls of white water breaking just offshore. I saw some of those waves. They were gigantic. Oh, yeah. I want to see that in person. Um, and also... There was gigantic sea turtles just floating on the waves. What's up, dude? <laughs> completely unperturbed. Like, you just see this gigantic wave, and you just see a turtle float up the wave and back down the... Oh, no, awesome. Like, no issue. You don't see it frantically paddling around. Just floating around. That's great. This just this is just one reason why surfers, bodyboarders, paddlers, and those of us just willing to watch from the beach make this pilgrimage. There's no other place on Earth like Hawaii. The North Shore of Oahu gets all the attention, as it should. But the waves at Makaha are just as sweet. This is the place where the first surf competition in Hawaii was held in, held in 1954 and continues to attract world-class pros to ride the giants of winter surf. And they have a little bit more about the beer specifically, too. Our brewers wanted to make a beer that went down easy after a day out on the water. Big Wave Golden Ale is just a ticket. Big Wave is a lighter-bodied golden ale with a tropical hop aroma and flavor, a smooth, easy-drinking, refreshing ale. The use of caramel malt contributes to the golden hue of this beer, and our special blend of hops provides, provides a bright, quenching finish. Huh. Hmm. Didn't quite stick the landing there. <laughs> he can read. I can. It checks out. <laughs> um, it's funny that they said there's caramel malt in there, because this is very light in color, so it must mm -hmm. be just a little hint of it. Just a touch? Yeah. It's, uh, it's tasty. It's it's yeah. it's simple, it's uh, delicious. It's, it's not, not like quite it's... like other golden ales I've had. There's usually more of a. I feel like there's usually more of like a yeast component. Like I think of um, Captain Lawrence um, Liquid Gold. Mm -hmm. That I really really enjoy that beer. This is a little bit more tame, closer to like a cream ale where it's like right. very basic and straightforward and well balanced. Yeah, it's tasty. It's uh, it's it's smooth. It, it's like smooth and subtle. I feel like that's yeah. how I would describe it. And there is some of that kind of tropical fruit. I want to say it's like maybe passion fruit. Do you get that? Um, I can't say I do. I'm gonna uh, now having heard you say that, I'm gonna take another sip though, because okay. that's that's usually what does it for me. There's something like either maybe a passion fruit or a papaya or something like that. Okay. Um, it's, yeah, guava? <laughs> Maybe it's guava? I, that um, could be it. It's actually funny that I'm not even, like, being a dick. Uh, <laughs> and, like, I'm just, like, naming another thing there. Um, there's a, there was a Rockstar energy drink that I used to love. Um, and there's, and guava was the main flavor. And there's actually, like, a subtle taste of what that reminds me of in there. I don't know if that's well, actually You might be right. On. I'm... I'm not sure which of those fruits it is. I just know it's one of those like tropical fruits that I don't have that often. It, it could be guava. I'm, I'm. It's official. Kona Brewing Company, guava wave. <laughs> That's what we're drinking. <laughs> one other thing about um, Kona, I was told this by uh, the locals out there. Kona is on the um, the Big Island, I think. We were on Maui. Um, I, um, but we were in Maui the rest of the time, and I drank a ton of Maui brewing over there. 
Um, we went to one of their like brew pubs and like had all like their seasonals and stuff like that that you can't find in cans. Because mm-hmm. I think Maui and Kona are the only ones that really you can find out over here. Okay. Uh, Maui is all in cans, but Kona is all in bottles. And they said that any of the bo- uh, but when you buy Kona in Hawaii, it's like mostly cans because they don't make any glass on any of the Hawaiian islands. Oh, interesting. Any glass you find out there has been shipped from the mainland. So they've actually split the Kona brewing between California and Hawaii. Hmm. All the stuff made in Hawaii is like canned and is done there. Anything that's brewed that you find in a bottle was actually brewed in California because it's way too expensive to ship the glass to Hawaii, bottle it, and then ship it back. Huh. Fun facts. I think they said... Um, that they put a moratorium like way back on uh, using the sand to make glass on the islands. They want to keep it for the beaches. Right. Which I thought was kind of cool. I never would have thought that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's fun little inside information. Thanks for going to Hawaii for that. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely not the reason I went. (laughs) That is it. But I did think it was kind of a cool thing to learn. You were researching for the show, and I will will hear nothing else. It was actually, yeah, it was before we recorded our first episode. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But we knew it was coming. Oh, uh, no, yeah. we have been planning for for a while at the time. So, you approved this beer? Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I mean, this uh, it's very easily drinkable. It's not too sweet. It's not too hoppy. It's uh, well-balanced. I, I enjoy it. Nice. Yeah. Good for uh, this type of weather. I mean, I'm sitting inside right now, but... Nice little warm weather beer. Yeah. Yeah, like it's that. good for the hot weather, which, you know... It being that it was brewed in Hawaii, you expect that it would be good for uh, for warm weather. Shocker. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Then without further ado, let's get into our flick. Okay. So, so we're, I mean, we should... The movie's been out for... I don't know, I'm going to preface this for you. Nine years? We're going to spoil the hell out of this movie if you haven't seen it. Better yet, if you haven't seen it, stop listening. And don't listen again. <laughs> That's how I feel. This I mean, movie let's is, not alienate our listener. This movie is a masterpiece, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to say that they did much wrong with it, right? Like, the, the, You know what? The, I think what makes it a masterpiece is that it has its flaws, but it shines regardless. I, there's really not that many flaws in this one. One of the flaws had a name. Like, you could probably pretty much count them with your fingers. Like, yeah. I don't... There's... It is as close to a perfect movie as you will find. You know, I mean, like, there can't, like, you know, it's the human error element. There's not going to be a perfect movie. But this one stands up as being relatively flawless. Um, well, okay, so let's let's start counting. Let's start counting the flaws up front. The first one that I'm going to point out, which comes all, comes back, actually, comes around and becomes one of my favorite parts of this movie, is uh, Richie Coster. He plays, nope. um, what's the guy's name? He plays Chechen in the movie. He's nope. the guy who says, my dogs are hungry. <laughs> his, okay. his overacting <laughs> gets real bad and then gets so fun to listen to. Actually, do I know this guy? Probably. I'm looking at a, like a, I just clicked on him. I'm mm-hmm. looking at a picture of him and I'm really, is he on, he was on Billions, wasn't he? Yep, I, uh, okay. I didn't say I didn't watch the show. Uh, yeah, no, he was in the second season of Billions in a few episodes. I never realized that that was him. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. Um, yeah, so um, now I will agree with you that he overacted because I didn't know that he was British and he I've heard him now with an American accent and he had a, I am assuming what he thought passed for a Chechen accent in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think anything of it because I had no like baseline for who he was in real life. Right. I, I don't know, like, it's 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 one of those funny things where it pulls you out of the experience the first couple of lines that he has, and then <laughs> and then you just can't wait for him to say something ridiculous next time he's on screen. Well, that's the thing, is because he kind of lays into that campy, over-the-top thing a little bit, and it's like one of the few people or things in that movie that is that way, so I actually don't hate it. I feel like it, it lightens the tone up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, he, I, like, I, want, I want to hear what the clown has to say. I want to hear what the clown says. <laughs> that and the uh, the look of defeat on his face when they burn the money. Oh, yeah. He's just like, oh, aww. <laughs> <laughs> Completely conveyed in silence. <laughs> so, I, you know what? Like I said, though, that one comes around on you, so that's, that's not really a flaw. So, I mean, I guess maybe you want to say that really, I mean, like, off the top of my head, the only thing I can think of, and it was kind of one of the bullet point like type of things that i thought of going into this um because i realized not having seen the movie in its entirely in its entirety like any time recently um one of the only things that i can think of off the top of my head that i just don't like about the movie is maggie gyllenhaal as rachel mm-hmm. or just rachel period yeah um, not, not that i loved her in batman begins as katie holmes but i liked her better yeah, I agree with that. I actually have here in my notes Maggie Gyllenhaal dot 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 why question mark. It's funny that you should say that because I put definitely do not care for Rachel sub bullet why Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. See, this is why it's so good. Al and I started a new thing with this show where we don't share our notes with each other beforehand. We're so on the same page here. <laughs> well, at least the last few episodes. Uh, I'm sure when we go back to seeing one together, yeah. we'll probably share notes on that one. Yeah, keep a couple. Play a couple close to the chest. Great uh, line from that movie. Uh. <laughs> the funny thing about that movie is, like, three months before it came out, I used that exact line, like, with one of my friends, and he thought it was hysterical. And then, like, we saw that movie, he's like, dude, do you remember when you said that? <laughs> they were spying on you. <laughs> I remember, like, I was, I, it was, like, literally the same context, too. It was, like, I think we were, we were like, we're going to, like, throw a party or something like that. Or we had something going on, and he's, like, uh, he asked me a question about it, and I said, you know, uh, I'm playing my cards pretty close to the vest on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, remembered that, and I was, like, holy shit, you're right. <laughs> That's great. The, um, the, the cast, really, though, it, it's just an all-star cast. Yeah, I mean, Christian Bale, obviously, excellent in all of them. Michael Caine can do no wrong. Gary Oldman can also yeah. pretty much do no wrong in my mind. And those are like your your tried and true, and you know Morgan Freeman. It's like I need a guy <laughs> to really pull this role home for us. Kind of smooth voice. People, he's gonna explain things that people aren't gonna understand, but we want them to still listen. Who could we get <laughs> to do that? <laughs> and then you hire God. Yeah, he he is literally God. <laughs> But I really like Aaron Eckhart. This is the first thing I ever saw him in. Yeah, that was so for me. That was like more of like the the newcomer. Like, and his he he blows it away. Like, I mean, if if Heath Ledger wasn't there to steal the show, Aaron Eckhart would have been. Probably, yeah. Um, and, he's, and he he does a tremendous job of keeping up with him and yeah. being a peer during that movie because like his performance is phenomenal and. 
he's like his character development and his arc is just unreal. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, and I thought I never thought he did go over the top, even though they gave him some big scenes to that he could have possibly run into that. I mean, I thought that the like rage and anguish when um, when Rachel is about to die and when she does die, I thought that that like he nailed that. Mm-hmm. I thought some of the big scenes he kind of towed the line of being over the top once he got some of his big scenes as Two Face. Yeah, I don't think he crossed the line, but I think you know he kind of felt around. He, he it's guys pretty much close. Fair. <laughs> yeah, like something like that. Like even 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 though it was a little bit more subtle, even the line when um, they're in the limo. Mm-hmm. And um, with when he's with what's his name? Um, it was Eric Roberts or whatever. The uh, yeah, yeah. Um, when he says uh, whatever, I don't even remember exactly what he said. But the whole thing where he straps up the the seatbelt and he shoots the driver with whatever the line he gives there was a little bit over the top or almost over the top, not quite, but yeah, it was more like, like a it was more like a Schumacher. It was lame. It yeah. was very lame. I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the exact line either. It's like something like, "Oh, you were lucky. Him, not so much." Yeah, it was just, it was a little <laughs> bit campy. It was a little bit more like Batman Forever than it was right. <laughs> Dark Knight. Hey, 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 leave Batman Forever out of this. What? I, you know I like that movie. Yeah. It's got a special place in my heart. <laughs> I mean, that was the first Batman that I really, like, remember. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that, was, that, that, to me, is the first Batman. I know you love the, uh, the Burton ones. I have mm-hmm. seen them, although I don't remember them that well. But I didn't like Batman Forever was the first one that I really saw. I, I liked that movie, right? Even though it's probably not great. Oh, I I, lo- I I have no shame. I love that movie, Batman Forever. It's great. I love Jim Carrey. I love. Uh, why can't I think of his name? Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Because it's a three name. I was trying to think of two. That was the problem right there. <laughs> trying to think yeah, of a first name, last Tommy name. Jones or Tom Jones wouldn't work. Yeah, nope. <laughs> Tom Jones not in that movie. <laughs> Thomas Jones. Two face. <laughs> oh, man. Or ex running back for the New York Jets. But, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but like, so, you know, as we mentioned, so Aaron, yeah, Aaron Eckhart's, um, his whole. His whole performance throughout that movie is just fantastic, and he he plays so many different roles throughout the movie, as like as yeah. he evolves, and like from like the he a great scene early on when the um the guy that the, he's interrogating on the bench pulls the gun on him, and like click click like he was ready to shoot him, kill him yes. dead, and he just he, he, he takes the gun and punches it. him in the face. <laughs> See, that was another one where I was like. It almost threatened to go over the top, but mm-hmm. also I love it. Oh yeah, it's great. I like. I, I was fine with the like. It was ballsy as hell. He just grabs the gun and decks him in the face. But then the line that he says, "Yeah, you should have bought American" or something like that. Yeah. That threatened to be a little too much. <laughs> uh, well, and then and then it goes a step further, and he's like, um, he's like, put the like put the witness in holding or something like that, and he goes, "But I'm not done questioning him yet." <laughs> no, that was funny. That yeah. was genuine and funny. That was great. Well, the one about buying American was almost as bad as the Dark Knight Rises when she disappears and he goes, "Oh, that's what it's like." Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I, it, it, but the the counter to that the because that's a callback to uh, in this movie when he's like, "How are you going to get him back that. into the country?" He does that. <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. that was great. That was hilarious to me. And like the um, no, it was funny coming from Gary Oldman like that yeah. because like that's like 
aware, but still within like the conceit of what they're doing. Right. The one in The Dark Knight Rises is more like self-aware, but trying so hard to show you it's being self-aware. Right, right. <laughs> That's so true. But, um, oh man, he, he's he's so phenomenal. Like, a couple of uh, the scenes. So, like like you said, the the one where he's... Um, there's one great one great scene. This is all voice acting. Is when the camera is on Rachel, and Batman goes into the warehouse where he is. Yeah. And like you, you really feel it. He really sells that home. He's like, like, why are you here? Like that whole like, it's like it, it's heart wrenching. Oh yeah, no. That see, that was what I was saying at the beginning of this. Before we kind of got into more of his dalliances yeah. and like campiness. Um. That was like one of his really big scenes, and I thought he he knocked that right out of the park. Oh yeah, I'm totally agreeing with you on that. Mm-hmm. And then the the scene where he pulls the bandages off of his face in the hospital in silence—it's like they do that drowned out. The sound is there, but it's super super low, and this is something that Christopher Nolan does a lot. Um, but he not when I say a lot, I mean like you'll see it probably once or twice in all of his movies. I feel like, but he uses it at just the right moment to really kind of captivate and like evoke emotion from you but like the the sound goes down and it's there and it's subtle and it's in the background you hear like maybe like the low beep of some machines in the background but it's really the swell of the music at that point or the tones because it's not really music and he's like freaking out in the bed and he's ripping off the (laughs) the gauze that are on his face and it's like oh (laughs) that scene is just (laughs) well see that's the thing is i didn't really think much of the couple of scenes other than the scene on the rooftop i didn't think that much of the scenes between um aaron eckhart and, and gary Oldman were like that great but the scene when he comes to see him in the hospital mm. the like the way that like the tension and the energy is like so charged between the two of them yeah that was really good mm-hmm. excellent and uh but like oh so yeah so like so that's like him that's when he's lost it we've jumped around with him a few times already but so like he starts off in the beginning and he's like this like go get him da guy right and then like you see him like uh the more like personal relationship that he has with rachel and how he can be timid and how he's like he does not fit in with his rich crowd and like the money throwing around portion of politics he fits in with the justice side of politics and like how uncomfortable he is around bruce and as they put it, the trust fund brigade. Yeah, yeah. And like, and then he goes into like, every, like his entire, everything is just turned upside down. And he just, he owns it the whole way through. Like it is, it's fantastic. Yeah. I cannot stress um, enough how good that, that he, he pulls this off. And it's funny because like, he's really not like, you kind of almost have dual leads in this movie between mm-hmm. the Batman and and the Joker, which the best representations of the Joker are when the two of them are nearly equal. Yeah. And how much attention we're shown of them. But, um, he sneakily almost has as an important arc. Or, I mean, well, he has the, he has the most, most growth for sure over the course of the movie, starting as the white knight that they keep talking about. Right. Like Knight versus the dark Knight, and watching him, his dial switch towards where he's, now morally gray he no longer you know he's got some stains on his white armor right? right when he's gonna kill the guy who's crazy to get information out of him you know what i mean the fact that he pulls the whole stunt getting into the back of the truck all that sort of stuff it's all within the whole determination thing that he showed us the whole time but it seemed like there was lines he definitely wasn't willing to cross and now he's crossing them 
and then he goes full-fledged fallen angel after all of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It, I I like that they that he didn't try to like continue the character or somehow keep him alive or do anything else with that after the fact, like for the next movie or anything like that. I like that the character had a beginning, middle, and end, and it all happened in the course of this movie where so much more was going on, and every but nobody felt like they had too little time on screen. And it all followed a logical progression, right? Where yeah. you didn't get, well, why is he doing this? It's just like a complete 180. No, like each time the the dial was readjusted on like his character, you could see why it happened, how it happened. Right. You know, I mean, I liked that, you know, it was almost like the way you write an essay where it's like, you know, you make, you stake this claim and like there is something there that supports it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he turns into this monster at the end and you're like, this sucks, but I mean, the writing is there on the wall. <laughs> you yeah. know? You killed Rachel! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could always have an issue with, you know, the fact that the, the, the Joker could get to him, right? That, mm-hmm. that, you know, he could tweak him and he's going to set him off on that path. You can understand why he would become so brutally bitter and frustrated I can understand why you may question, you know, well, how is he going to go and try and kill, you know, Batman? Or why is he going to go and try and kill Commissioner Gordon? Because he was the best of us. (laughs) (laughs) Can we trust him? him? If you have not seen um, Uh, Batman, Pete Holmes' Batman impersonation. You need go to watch go look that up and watch it, and then watch it again because it is so good. <laughs> oh my god, yeah! Like I watched five or six of them, and I can't get anything past that. But um, no, going back to to actually, yeah, I mean, you get even though it's like you know, it can seem like t- like kind of a tough leap. The whole idea of you trusted those cops and they betrayed us, so fuck you. Like, even that stands and holds water, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh. Oh, man. Poor Two-Face. Poor Two-Face. So I better end there. Um, oh, in Harvey Face and Scary Face? Harvey Face. <laughs> <laughs> Quick. Harvey. <laughs> Use that gun when Scary Face shows himself again. <laughs> All right. What do you see here? Scary face. <laughs> right, what do you see now? Harvey face. We, we, All right, now put them together. What do you see? Two face. <laughs> scary face. Harvey face. <laughs> we will put links to these videos in the post for this episode, and you must absolutely watch them. They're fantastic. That line always gets to me. <laughs> yeah. Two face. What did you do with scary face <laughs> and Harvey face? <laughs> Oh my god, it's so good. Now, um, back to the tried and true actors. Obviously, we had mentioned Michael Caine, who he, he's another like what a great supporting actor in this movie. Yes, right. He's he's not on screen often, but when he is, he is entirely captivating. As well, you, as think, usual, <laughs> I think this one was probably his best of the three too. Right, I think that he had like the most some of the most weighty lines, like. The scene when he explains about the guy in Burma that they were hunting uh, down. Ah, uh, such a good line. Right? Like, that whole scene, you know, and the caps it off with that fucking, like, like an anvil dropping with each syllable. Some men just want to see the world burn. Yeah. 
like just freaking nailed it. It's just like, and it's one of those things. that's like it's it's oh it's like it's quotable, and it'll always be quotable, and it'll always be from this movie. Yes, it's so good. I love it. Hundred no, percent. And um, I love he's I, he's also so like his relationship with Bruce Wayne is like it, you don't get a lot of them together, but when you do, you totally understand like how much he cares for him. Oh yeah, right, and like how much he knows about him, and like like they they're so playful back and forth with their dialogue, which is which is great. And uh, what one of the one of the things being like I you know. I, I hope you don't have me followed when I go on when I take a vacation. And he's like, "If you ever did, I would." <laughs> that's that's uh, one and two. My um, what I was just gonna tell him the whole thing was your idea. <laughs> I was thinking I always enjoyed um when um they find out that the Joker is gonna try and kill that guy who I don't remember his name, the guy who worked for the company who was gonna expose that Bruce Wayne was Batman. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he says, uh, "Yeah, well." Uh, what are you gonna? Uh, he goes. Well, how are you gonna get there? You, you gonna take the? You know, oh no, the Batmobile is gonna be a little bit too uh, ostentatious. Ah, yes, the Lamborghini then. Much more subtle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's an, and um, that, yeah. Oh my god, it's so great. But uh, and that, that, on the same like topic with that Weasley guy, Morgan Freeman has that other great line too, when he brings him the evidence. Like, did you think we weren't gonna notice our own machine? And he goes, "So what you're telling me is." <laughs> Your billionaire employer, you think that he runs around beating up criminals in, at nighttime in his spare time, and you want to blackmail this guy? <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's excellent. Yeah, the, that I love the playful dialogue in the movie, and it's like I, I feel like that kind of is how they they captivate that the comic book feel to it. Like the lightheartedness is there, like the joking, unrealistic portions of it are there and it's through these this type of dialogue but the rest of the movie itself is obviously very serious and very dark but like there is there's still some of that and it just it just really drives it home it just makes it so much so much more enjoyable and um what yeah, another another think, morgan it's, like, it's perfectly like paced out too yeah. like oh yeah it's never there's overdone there's a little sprinkle here a mm-hmm. little sprinkle there you know for the first two thirds of the movie obviously it goes full darkness at the end and it's got it right yeah uh, but uh, like an- another one of those with Morgan Freeman though is when he's he he needs something from him and he's like basically explaining to him what he needs. And it's like oh, it's like jumping out of an airplane. He's like, I thought you were gonna have something more, you know, challenging than this. This is pretty uh pretty like standard or simple for like one of your requests. And then like after he explains the whole thing, he goes, and how about getting back into the plane? And he goes, <laughs> I suggest a good travel agent. And he goes, <laughs> wallets in the air. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I was thinking of like uh, the scene that comes right after that too. Because like I don't remember if it was, I don't remember if it's Alfred or if it's Lucius that says to him something about you have to act more like the billionaire playboy that you are. Mm-hmm. And he hires away the whole Russian ballerina troupe. Yep, yep. And he goes on vacation with all of, all of them. Great scene. But then, and it's funny, you know, you see them go to see the play too because part of it was a fuck you to Harvey, right? Oh, yeah, hundred yeah. uh, percent. Um, but the. <laughs> The scene when he's on the boat with all the Russian ballerinas and they're all playing around and Alfred's there and he goes, and you could apply your own bloody sun suntan lotion. <laughs> he's got That's that so crusty good. old man thing, but it's still like you're cracking up. Yeah. All of actually on that topic, all of Bruce Wayne's like I'm a douchebag billionaire scenes are really great in this movie. Like yes. the one where they go to the restaurant and he's like, 
Rachel, fancy that, right? And he's like, I'm a, let's have them pull some tables together. And he's like, I don't think they will. Ah, oh, I think they'll let us. I own the place. Like, and it's like, it's such a, he's such a douchebag. I love it. And then, well, because uh, the same restaurant from the first movie, right? That he buys it right yeah, there. Yeah, when he's swimming in the, in the, in the like the fountain outside. It's like the koi pond. Yeah. <laughs> That's and the great. two girls, like, uh, like they're all like, they're swimming in there. They're about to, they're basically like about to have a threesome in the koi pond in the front of the restaurant. Yeah. And oh he just God. like writes a check, and he goes, "No, no, you can't just." He goes, "No, no, I can. I'm buying this restaurant." Right. <laughs> so douchey. There, so there's that. There's the scene where he walks into the uh, the party at his at his mansion, and he like helicopters in, and he's got three girls walking with him with his arms around them, and then yep. he's like. He's like where like clearly looks right like they they position it they position the scene so like the camera is basically at the angle where um Harvey Dent is so like you're in that scene when you're watching it you're in his position and he clearly looks at you and goes like where is Harvey <laughs> you know and he looks away and he looks back and it's like just a total like everything around here is not important <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it, it it just it plays so well, um, and then the other another scene when he's when he drives the Lamborghini and he cuts off the truck that's gonna ram into was it Reed or Reese or something like that the guy that um, that was, was gonna out was him Reese Reese uh, but he like he jumps in front of it obviously like with the intention to stop it and Commissioner Gordon's like that's a that's a really brave thing you did there and he goes what trying to beat the light yeah. <laughs> and they. Do you think I should go to a hospital? <laughs> you don't watch it's a lot of news, do you? <laughs> it's funny. Cause, like, you can tell he totally doesn't buy it. And, like, there's even that, like, there's no way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that, that can't be him, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's great. And But then uh, in that scene, though, in this, like, goofiness, like, where he's pulling this off, that subtle nod that he gives to the guy as he's coming out of the out of the car like they're taking him out like and keeping him in safe um keeping him in safety he just like kind of looks over to him and just gives him the slightest like <laughs> like yeah it just saved your life let's uh let's let's ease up on it all right <laughs> yeah it's that whole i know you know i know you know and right. you know that i know that you know yeah, right. <laughs> all in a split second <laughs> yeah all in the blink of an eye <laughs> so great um uh, what did you think about the use of Killian Murphy? I kind of liked that he was also like a through line through all three movies. Yeah. Um, and also further burnishing his Christopher Nolan resume. Right. <laughs> Padding out his stats, as it were. I, I gotta say, I don't fully get it, though. Get it. Um, I don't know. I mean... What I don't what get I is get why he's why. on the street. Why he's what? Why he's still Why? on the streets. Well, because he had escaped at the end of Batman Begins. Yeah, I know. I just feel like by now, you know. Well, no, because remember, he hit him with the, uh, he hit him with his own gas. He goes, how about a taste of your own medicine, doctor? Which, again, threatening to be overly campy and Burton schumacher Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I guess not a lot of time has passed either, right? No, because remember, yeah. he gives them the card at the end, yeah. the Joker card. Oh, so it's only been a, a few months. Yeah, that, I love that. I and love he's clearly living in, like, back alleys and this and that, right? That's true. And he's got money because he's been funded by, well, you know, his own bullshit practice that he's been doing, plus all the money that he was getting from the League of Shadows. 
the League of Shadows. <laughs> <laughs> See, you could have probably not bothered having him in the Dark Knight, but I didn't find it offensive because it was a good jumping off point, right? Because that's totally the type of thing that would draw him in. Do you think they would have preferred to have Heath Ledger's Joker as that character? In Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. Maybe, but I did kind of like that it was the kangaroo court run by yeah. um, him. And see, if they didn't have him at all in the Dark Knight, but then had him for that, I think it still works. Yeah, yeah. But I don't mind that he's this kind of little thread that helps tie it all together. No, it's, it's cool. It, it's subtle, and I like it. And he just, yeah, he's just there. He just gets his nod, like, throughout the rest of it and he, yeah. like you're saying he, he does tie it together like in this that little through line it's just funny like the way that that is shot in that i mean i know we're talking dark knight but in the dark knight rises the way that that scene is shot where he's like on top of like this what looks like a mountain of books i don't even remember how it was uh, yeah set i up. think it was like books and desks and right. chairs stacked up <laughs> but it's like that is so clear like to me like that is just like straight up a joker scene like he would be the one at the top of that yeah you know Looking at it now, the way that the trilogy stands, it's hard to see how they would have really included the Joker, even though I know he said that was his intention, but I think that just having him as a cameo doesn't really work. Right. Well, I and mean, I'm, that having him be the main villain totally again different. doesn't necessarily work either. Right. I think that's where you risk getting tired. But see, and that's the thing I don't get, because people complain about the Marvel Universe, I know we're going to slightly off topic, That's but the, I think it's kind of important to this. People complain that they don't bring villains back in the Marvel Universe, that it's always one done for all their villains. But it risks becoming a cut-and-paste comic, like comic book story if you have the same villain. Like, you can't keep doing it because it just becomes the same movie again. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. What if... I don't know how they originally wanted to do a third film... Um, before uh, The Dark Knight Rises ended up becoming what it was. But what if I would love a movie where the Joker is like this Hannibal Lecter character? Like, maybe we get to see what Arkham is like, and see, he's got this work. hold over him. That might work, um, but then he basically just becomes Loki anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's the only Marvel character, the only Marvel villain we bring back. And the only reason that you is worth anywhere worth bringing back... I mean, we get... It's different because the Nolan thing is its own standalone trilogy. They could have done it if they were doing the expanded universe, right? Because that's why Loki works, is you think he's gone, he comes back, and he has a way bigger, way different mm-hmm. plot, right? First it's daddy issues, and then it's, fuck everyone, I'm just taking over. Right. And then he comes back again, and we can still do that because he's now the enemy of my enemy type of deal. Right. So you could have done that, like you said, have him has like you console with him as Hannibal type of character. But I just feel like you're going to be left wanting more too much. That it almost brings it down because it's that untapped potential. Sure. But if you try to try and go full bore and have him be that main enemy again, you risk like what is he going to do to outdo the right. total anarchy thing? Yeah, and I don't know. Like I mean, I feel like they could probably they probably could have pulled that off with like it didn't have to be a large part of the movie. It would have to be literally one sequence because any more and right. he's going to chew up the scenery and take it over. For sure. But I, I, I think they could have done mess. it. And I, I mean, it's it it sucks that he died and we couldn't see where they wanted to go with it. Um, yeah. But uh, that would have been it would have been interesting. I'm curious. I, I very I am very curious of what the third movie would have been had he been around. 
because See, I, think it, I think you like you have to do that thing, the Hannibal thing, or if, if you want to yeah. even say something that's more recent and finds a way to include something in a property that you wouldn't necessarily think. If you could treat him kind of like Darth Vader in Rogue One, mm-hmm. like otherwise, I just don't. I think he risks taking it over. Yeah, for sure. And then it becomes not the Dark Knight Rises. It's yeah, the Dark well, you, Knight you, you kind of you, you figure out where that balance is, though, right? I mean, it, it's it's a bell curve. How much can we use him where it's efficient, and then it doesn't become too much? And I feel like I I, I don't know. I think Christopher Nolan would would figure that out with, with no problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's probably true. I mean, yeah, he hasn't really given anyone cause to not believe in him, right? Right. So. That's probably true as well, and and you, we uh, you're right. Like we were robbed of getting to see more of that awesome performance. I just worry that it's like too much of a good thing eventually. Sure, oh, and it's very possible. Um, we've we've beaten around the bush enough here, and it's time to get into the Joker himself. Okay, and that was like I was told, I wanted to give everybody some, you know, give everybody a mention before we got there, uh, because. He's he just obviously he steals the show, and it's from the minute that you you know it's him from the opening scene before he puts that mask before he puts the mask on. You don't see him, but the character and the way that that movie is shot has such pull towards this towards the Joker that you know in that opening scene when he's standing on the sidewalk and it's the back of him. And obviously the the color of the suit kind of gives it away a little bit, but like he's got that mask holding down, and like the way the music swells. Or like, it doesn't even really swell. It's it's just like kind of a, a tone that just is consistent through that line, which is really friggin' eerie and creepy. Yes. But it, it just gives like, you that skin crawling feeling. Oh, the whole the whole like what opening 10, 15 minutes. It's it's just like, <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. And like that is that like heist movie opener is phenomenal. Yes. And that that like sets that sets the tone for the entire movie. Like you're like you are 100 percent invested from the time that the the school buses drive away. Also, like it's great great cameo William Fickner. Yeah, as the bank manager. Yep, that was awesome. Hey, where did you learn to count? <laughs> that guy shot him. <laughs> Amazing. <Yeah. laughs> so it's funny because the very first time I watched it, though, I actually didn't really realize who it was mm-hmm. until. William Fichtner comes out with the shotgun and starts yeah. shooting at him. And he, the one guy yells at him, and then he doesn't say anything back. That's when I was like, oh, that's him. Yeah, uh, yeah. For I mean, I I just knew from, obviously, from, like, a little bit from the trailers and stuff, but just, like, that, the way that that is shot, you know that they're introing this character right now with the mask down. And he's just like, this guy is in the middle of the street with a, a giant bag and a clown mask, and he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> so this is the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Well, but they show you a whole bunch of clowns, you know. So, mm-hmm. and you're not like you're not supposed to know. It's like a shell game, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it was it was pretty apparent. I feel like to me, but like I just like I I love it though. I love every second of it. I love yeah. how how we're, like, and it also sets like it sets it up for you know exactly how he's gonna operate throughout the movie. Like he has them all kill each other. Oh yeah. And it's hilarious. It's it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hilarious, and he's just like. He's just, he is psychotic, and it's great, and he yes. pulls it off so well, up to that point where he pulls that mask off, and he says, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stranger, like, it's just like, and you get that first full, full frame shot of the Joker's face when he, he, like, whips his hair back, and he says, stranger, like, and it's just, yes. 
it is just perfection. Like that, it is unreal, and like that scene will always be one of my favorite scenes in movies. Actually, even his line before that, before he takes the mask off, is great. Yeah, uh, and I'm guessing you were supposed to kill me. No, 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 no! I killed the. I driver. got the drive, the bus driver. <laughs> what bus driver? Thud. <laughs> Oh, those guys are not getting up. <laughs> Dead. I was like, oh my god, this movie is out of control. And we're not, what, we're like 10 minutes in? This is not ridiculous. Even. Like six. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And then, um, but he's, so, and, and from that moment on, you're like, when he's, he's then, he's then off the screen, and you're like, when's he coming back? I need more. And That's that right. Is, you really don't see him for quite some time again, right? right? And then, yeah, and then when he comes back, uh, I believe the next time he comes back is the scene where he walks into the meeting. Yes. Right? Um, which, again, you're like, these are all bad guys that are in there, but you're on the edge of your seat because you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's so good. And they pull well, the that crazy thing so is like, well. The crazy thing is, like, they're all itching to kill him, and you don't want them to. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, how the fuck is that? Like, that thought crosses your head. Like, um, wait, they're not going to kill him, right? Right, yeah. Like, we get more? Let's keep him around. <laughs> He's, yeah. And uh, I love and that. That's, I, after, and that's after. That's after we watch him put a pencil through someone's eye? Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. The whole thing. It's like, it's like the uh, the writing concerns me. Like, how did you... <laughs> this, is, this is bizarre. Let's um, not blow things out of proportion. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> was it Gamble, is it? <laughs> he's going to find him, and he's going to make him squeal. <laughs> I, love, I love it. But um, the, the other thing, another great part of that scene where he's in that room with all of them is they get to him for a split second. You know, when he's like, um, he says he's crazy. And he kind of not, not crazy. Yeah, he, he, he's just like a little switch. A little switch goes off. And he gets real pissed. <laughs> and then he like he spits out his message because I think he's annoyed at this point. And it's just it's yeah. so it's it he's so unsettling, but in the best way possible that I just well, want And more. he even has that one like FU line back to him too. This get this clown out of here in this cheap suit. It's not cheap. You wanna know, you paid <laughs> You wanna know, you bought it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Oh, well, it's, man. Funny, it's funny you said that thing about like them actually getting to him because I, I do think you're right that you're onto something there with that. Um, and I didn't like I, I guess in the back of my mind I guess I kind of always thought it, but um, it never really fully coalesced into a like a full idea in my mind that um, he most likely was some a soldier who had PTSD in the Middle East mm-hmm. um, because you saw that like the one guy. That they interrogate, um, that what's his name threatens to kill, was also a soldier I think who had PTSD. Yes, um, I, and I think that 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 definitely, even though it wasn't, I don't think it was ever really confirmed outside of the movie. It wasn't. You never find out who he actually is. Yeah. Somehow he defies all attempts to classify who he is, even after they've caught. I mean, I'm sure they eventually figured it out, but. Right. Um, not within the confines of the movie, but I think that, that that there's something real to that where it's like he knows something's off, but he doesn't like you calling him on it. Mm-hmm. And I think also, I think in his mind, the idea of being crazy sounds like it's like means that he's out of control and he feels that he's in control. Right. 
Because that's kind of uh. his whole thing, right? Is that, yeah. um, you know, even though he says, you know, do I look like a guy with a plan? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he seems pretty fucking good at plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I I think there's there's some credibility to that theory. That's um, been going around and like that for a while, and I I, I get it. I think that's, that's that's possible. I think it's it's fun to like kind of speculate it, but it's also like it doesn't matter at all. This is this guy is just no, he's... probably not. But it does, I guess, provide a certain a bit of context. Um, this character has existed right for sixty years or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it that within the context of a movie taking place in the late 2000s. Right. It was just such an excellent take on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, so, it's just so well done. Um, uh, and to cap that scene off, when he's like, you think you could just take our money and walk out of here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so subtle. Well, it's um, funny because you can see how much Gamble hates him. And you can see that the Chechen is intrigued by him. Yep. Um, I don't think he likes him. I think like, um, like they said, they're all scared of him, but I think he is intrigued by the potential that he shows. Yeah, for sure. He's yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just thought about the, the last part of that too. When you're ready to talk, here's my card. <laughs> And he just leaves the Joker And it's card. just a Joker <laughs> It's just, <laughs> mwah, it's perfect. <laughs> he has so many great, stupid little lines like that. He, you oh, know, yeah. even, like, um, and I'm, we're going to have to get into more Pete Holmes here. The scene when he interrogates him in the police station. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he just smashes his head. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never start with that. Uh, it makes the victim all fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you never start with the head, which reminds me of fucking Pete Holmes when he oh my God. punches him in the hand. Who punches a hand? Who punches a hand? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. sorry I offended I you. Your, I broke Giant your one bat. rule. Giant bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's probably – I think that was the one that uh, – the first one that I saw was that interrogation scene one that came out a while back. And, uh, I think that's the best one. It, it, is, it, it is. It is. It's the shortest one, too. It's excellent. Yeah. Um, Wiggles the clown, I think, is yes. is who he's interrogating. And uh, I, I just had a couple of drinks at the birthday party. <laughs> he just, but I love he's beating him up. He's just punching him, and he punches him in the face. And Commissioner Gordon runs in the room, and he goes, "Stop punching! It's not him." And not he him. pauses, and he punches him again, and he goes, yes. "Stop!" <laughs> two clowns. <laughs> yes, there's two clowns. It's, it's not him. Part of me I, knew that. I think but part I just of me owned it. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna be honest. Part of me knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I love it. Oh uh, my god. But what do you think? So the I love. I also love how he goes into his stories about you know how he got his scars, and obviously you never find out how he got his scars. But it's just like it's just so twisted that he uses it in such a way. It is weird, like because it could be a crutch, right? That is like. You know, oh, you know, look at how fucked up my face is. That's why I'm fucked up. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think for the longest time, everyone's tried to figure out, well, it's got to be one of the stories he tells, right? Does it have to be? 
I say I don't think it necessarily does, and right. I think it actually even further lends credence to the thing of him being a survivor of one of the the wars in the Middle East. It, like he, ha- it had to have been something that happened over there, right? Maybe. Uh, the, you would think, like, if he was in combat and he saw something of sufficient disturbance to him that would cause him to snap, you can imagine that it might be an IED blows up and kills his whole squad and leaves him scarred. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Could be. Could be anything. It could. It could be. I just. I'm just saying. You know, if that's a theory you subscribe to, I think that that would lay like yeah, in, I, I'm sure, serious water. I'm sure if yeah, if you were like trying to go after that theory, that's probably where you would land with the scars and stuff. I just think it's fun. It's interesting because it's like it, it literally it could be anything. And I'm sure I really want to believe that two things. One that Christopher and Jonathan Nolan in I I want to believe that they know. Why? Like that they had a story in their minds that like they built this whole thing around because that's and I imagine that they did and they maybe shared it with very few people if they shared it at all because otherwise I don't think that this movie is as good as it it gets like I don't think they would have been able to pull this off if they didn't have such a a strong idea for this character and like where he comes from I don't think they had to necessarily share it but they they would know whether or not a scene would work if they're following a storyline that they're not sharing with you. Up until I started to give more weight to the thing about him being a soldier, I I always was of the impression that it was the father doing it to him. Mm-hmm. That one seemed to be the most vivid to him. He seems to be most on the edge when that's happening. Right. He seems to be. There's the most detail to that story. Yeah. Yeah, the other one's detailed too. It is. It's just it happens a little bit quicker. It's a little bit shorter story. That's true. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. Ugh. It's it's just it's just creepy. It's a whole creepy concept of this these scars on his face and what the there's there's a whole story there and I love that it's there and we don't know what it is. I think it's great. Yeah. I think that it, the fact that it's shrouded in mystery is just fantastic. I would agree with you. I I don't actually necessarily. I think one of those things where it's open to your interpretation makes it better, but I do agree with you that I, I think that it probably the two of them have to probably know. Right. To to so nail down the details of this character. Right. <laughs> that there has to be a starting point for that. I, I but it's one of those things where like I hope they don't at the twenty year anniversary say, Oh yep, it was definitely that. Right, right. Yeah, I don't want them to ever reveal it. But I do agree that I think that they should know it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Ah. Uh. Now I'm just pondering. <laughs> like, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, so one of, one of the one of the things that I put down here, um, and I don't know if we, we might talk about this for two minutes or twenty minutes. I, I don't know. Um, pro- it probably won't be twenty minutes. But um, we kind of touched on it a little bit, talking about the scene in when he's interrogating him, um, breaking the one rule or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen a character in any sort of media um, weaponize Batman's morality. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, you always hear like the, uh, the, like there was Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn has the line in Spider-Man, right? You know, the sadistic choice, you know, usually say suffer the little children or let go of the woman you love or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always that like, kind of the duality of choice and usually we see 
they we usually see him somehow succeed and get both of them, right? You see him grab Mary Jane and grab the kids as well. Yeah. Um, it's so rare to see that actually come to fruition where you have to make the choice mm-hmm. or you have to break the one rule. Right. And we see him succeed in not breaking the one rule until it comes to Harvey, right? He doesn't kill the Joker, despite the Joker literally pushing him to the edge, saying, like, you know, that's the one thing you're going to have to do. Right. As opposed to when he has to make the choice, they don't succeed and Harvey lives and Rachel dies. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you, when you're watching that movie, you're like, oh, Commissioner Gordon's going to save Harvey and... Or maybe he'll be there just slightly late, late and that'll fuck up his face and maybe it makes him go nuts or whatever. And, and he'll save Rachel, but they probably won't end up together because it's Batman and this and that. It's like, nope. Yeah. The, bat, the Joker fucked with you because he knows you and you keep underestimating him. And nope, you're going to go save the dude and you're not going to make it to her. And he hopes that you're not going to make it to her and she's going to die. You know, on top of that, what's crazy is and awesome and totally is all about this character that they built up is if they dilly-dallied at all or if they didn't go to interrogate them, both of them die. Yes. Like, that's... He doesn't He doesn't care. He doesn't He doesn't care. <laughs> He's just doing things, as he puts it, basically. Well, see, and, and that's one of the places, actually, I think that it doesn't necessarily ring true because he says, you know, I'm going to let you save them. I'm going to, you know, this and that. Um, but he played that pretty close, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, if that conversation goes on for 30 seconds longer, they both die. Yeah. There's no way his internal clock is that good. Right. Yeah, but I think doesn't... that also, like, that there needed to be a real chance of him succeeding there. Hell, even it, it may have even been better for the Joker if both of them do succeed. Right. Um, he doesn't, that's the thing, though. He doesn't care what the outcome is. He just wants to create these scenarios and see what happens, and and it excites him. Like, I guess that's true because I think he was expecting to break Batman, and he doesn't. He breaks Harvey. Right. I don't think he could have saw that coming. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, yeah, it just it had a it had a crazy side effect, and he loves and like he loves it so much in that scene where he's the nurse, and he's when he's, just, when he's the nurse, and he goes oh. to talk to him, and he like gives him the gun, and he's like he's real excited because he thinks that he he pulled off something great. He's just like he wants him to shoot him. And he doesn't do it, he's going to flip a coin, and that excites him even more. And it's great. Well, I think the coin angle excites him, because it's the whole, the anarchy of of a, of a 50-50 choice. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of totally in line with his whole thing. It's just, fuck convention, you know, we're going to do, we're going to do it live, you know. Right. But <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think he, I think he knows, though, in that scene, I think he knows he's not pulling the trigger. Because I think it's to that situation where, I think he sees as he starts talking to him that um, he's got a glimmer of, I don't want to say hope per se in Harvey's eye, but like a glimmer of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think he knows kind of like the way that like a heroin dealer knows that he's got you hooked. Right. Um, so I think he always knows you're not going to pull the trigger in that in that situation because you're waiting to see what I have to offer you next. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But even before the nurse scene, which is funny, we get to see him like waddling in nurse so attire, funny. stuff like that. Um, it's the scene when he cap he kidnaps Lau and they're fleeing after he blows up the precinct. Mm-hmm. 
when he sticks his head out the window. Oh, yeah. And he has, like, a nearly orgasmic face. <laughs> as like, you know, like, ah, yes, yeah. everything just came together. It's, like, the weird, creepy side of, like, what's his name from the A-Team? You know, I love it when a good plan comes together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love that whole scenario where he goes to get like to take the mask off Batman and it shocks him. Oh yeah, and they they stop him. He goes, "Come on, just let me give him one more second. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's so funny. Um, well, I also love that even like he gets the shit electrocuted out of him, and that sets him off. Like he enjoyed that. Yeah. Like like as if, ooh, I actually didn't see that coming. Good yeah. on you, man. Yeah. But uh, what about? Uh, I don't fully understand the faking of Commissioner Gordon's death, though. Um, because they didn't know who they could trust. Okay, I guess that, that was makes, before that Harvey sense. was. That was before Harvey and Rachel were kidnapped. That makes sense. So they didn't know who they could trust. So the whole point was to put Commissioner Gordon in there to drive because they Thank knew you. that he had nerves of steel and they knew he wasn't going to betray him. Right, 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 right. That, that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's uh that's another another great scene when he goes home and she slaps him. She opens the door and she slaps him in the face and then hugs him immediately. Yeah, that was fucked up. Uh that was a that was a rough scene. And kind of surprising that they carry through well, especially like bookended when um I guess it was really cuz Batman obviously was in on it, right? Mm-hmm. But he sells Gordon's death by being there, even though no one's watching other than the wife. So really, the worst of what he's doing is fucking with her, right? Right. Well, she the, snaps and she's screaming at him. Those cops are there too. I guess that's true. That's probably why. Yeah, I guess. Did she have a detail there? No, they were at the door, and he was off on the side, and she yells at them, yells at him while they're there. Uh, were they coming there to? Were they? They were coming there to tell him her that he died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that actually. I thought she just was like looking at the window, but you're right. They they knock on the door to tell her. Right. Interesting. Oh man, I love it. I love this movie so much. Um. So there's a couple of fun. Well, at least one. There's one pretty cool thing that I noticed. I I don't know what the significance is, or if it's just like a stylistic thing that they uh, that he did directing the movie. There's. At least two scenes. I think there might have been one more, and I can't remember what it is. But the one scene when Aaron Eckhart is knocks over knocks over the canister, and he's on like strapped to the chair, and his face is against the the oil. Um, and in the scene where the Joker is hanging upside down, yeah, these are two scenes where the normal shot we would either see, you would see the character on their side, mm-hmm. but in the they straighten they rotate the shot. And the character's face is straight up. I think it's very interesting. I don't know why. I don't know if there's any sort of artistic significance to it or anything like that. I don't really... I don't know about that. But it, it was just something that I noticed the last time I watched it. I was like, oh, that's that's funny. Like, I, Yeah, I mean, it might be... I don't know if it's if there's necessarily like anything symbolic to it. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I think I forgot... I haven't seen really, or not that I haven't seen it, but for some reason it doesn't stick with me 100% the whole thing in the warehouse when he actually catches him. Like, I feel like it hasn't resonated, like, where I don't just, like, recall everything, but I, like, I totally remember what happens after that with with Harvey and the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So I forgot about them showing him right side up or whatever, but I do remember exactly what you're talking about when his face is on the ground, and then they do they show up first him fall down, and they show up where it looks like he's straight up and down, even though you yeah. clearly see he's leaning against right. the floor. Um, and I, I think you, like part of it, like kind of like what you were leaning towards, is um, just that it's a cool shot. Yeah. Kind of like, um, but I also wonder if it's either. I can't figure out which one it's which. I don't think it can be both. Um, whether it's trying to unsettle you. Or whether it's to try and give you a frame of reference, like, okay, like, you're looking at him in the face, even though he's sideways. Yeah, I don't know. Or, uh, you know, or it could be one of those things where it's unsettling, like, you're expecting to see him face down, but you're actually looking at him right in the eye. For for whatever reason, I find that I turn my head. So maybe it is to unsettle you, then. Right, because he's supposed to be on his side right now, so I turn my head. Same thing with, I mean, you're not going to do a handstand, but... You know he's upside down because his hair is hanging, right? Right. But he's facing you straight up and down, so it is unsettling because it's breaking what, like, the convention what you expect to see. His hair hanging, gross as it usually is, down to his shoulders, and instead it's standing straight up on end, essentially. Yeah. And I guess, and uh, along the lines of like making it unsettling, like if he's he's right side up, but things are so clearly still upside down, and the movie is not over yet. I wonder if that's anything. But it was it was just something I noticed last time I watched it. I was like, those are really those are two really cool shots. I like them. Yeah. Very, well, it's very... funny because I kind of put I like jot down a note about um just kind of general cinematography stuff mm-hmm. with this movie, like the the quote unquote like Nolan style. Because and I'm sure there's people who are like actual like cinema students or whatever who would be able to do a much better job about that than me but thinking about a movie and i only saw it once like but thinking of a movie like memento i don't notice a lot of visual shots that are necessarily similar in this you know usually you'll kind of get like the this is the idea like the scorsese how many shots he does from a ceiling right mm-hmm. um i remember you sent me that video it was like the super cut of like <laughs> it was like a 10 minute video of all of his movies all the shots that were from straight up above yep. It's like fuck. He does a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to the point where, like, where I'm watching it, I'll be like, "Oh, obligatory ceiling shot." Yeah. <laughs> um, but you do see some of it within within the Batman movies, um, the trilogy, um, a lot of those bird's eye view or like super far panned out, like zoomed out, um, tracking shots around, mm-hmm. like Batman standing on. A ledge, Batman getting ready to jump across, you know, in, when he's in China, you know, Batman surveying the city, this and that. You get a lot of those shots, yeah. that, and that it always is get the Zimmer like, bah! Yeah. sound that goes on, you know, that crescendo. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, it's not really music very often. It's a lot of times it's the it was, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Dark, <laughs> ominous tones. tones. <laughs> 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 Oh no! The masturbating dog killer is stripped again. <laughs> <laughs> the owners are dead, but at least the dogs are happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. on the, on that movie again because I think we brought it up last episode. <laughs> he he goes, Peter. Anytime you're ready, and he's got that. They're like doing one of those scenes, and he's about to record his music, yep. and it's the Seinfeld yep, yep. theme <laughs> that he plays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. But yeah, 
No, well, he does a lot of those like full, I guess, full screen shots or like uh, something like he does. You know, there's a lot of shots that are done on um, like specifically for IMAX where they do the large format. And there's yeah, it's like the big panoramic tracking shots. Yeah. And it, it's funny because it's like you say that you, you don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I am able to spot a Nolan movie like in a second. And it actually happened recently when it was the first time I saw the Dunkirk trailer that I actually didn't know anything about. I didn't know it was in the making. I wasn't paying yeah, attention. Yeah, I know you mentioned that too, where you said you watched the trailer for like three seconds. You're yeah. like, I think this is a Nolan movie. Yeah, and then it's like, screen goes black. Christopher Nolan. I was like, oh, yep. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, there's also something to, I've noticed, and this is only with certain directors I've noticed this, and I don't, I just don't have the vocabulary to describe it, but... And again, this doesn't apply to Memento because part of it's black and white, and it's also one of the few movies of his that takes place a lot of during the day. Um, but I notice it with there's a particular way that like the lighting and the shadows are mm-hmm. in specifically Inception and the three Batman movies. Yeah, I haven't seen Interstellar yet. Still, everything is dark and gritty. Yes. Um, not It's not the same, but to a certain extent, it's similar to the way that David Fincher movies are. Mm-hmm. Like, I, in the same way that you said it with Nolan, I can, if you just turned on something, I'll be like, oh, David Fincher made this. Right. The lighting is always exactly the same unless they're out in broad daylight. Anytime yeah. anyone's in a room, it's like, oh, this is Fincher. Like, I'm watching House of Cards, and it's like, so instead of seeing it for two hours, I'm seeing it for 13. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but everything, like, the lighting always, and the same thing, Michael Bay has that weird, like, is it overexposed, I guess, kind of lighting a lot of times, like where everything is like, oh, like really saturated. sharply contrasted. What did you say? It's like saturated. The yeah, colors. it's like you get like sharp contrasts and some of the hues and colors are weird. Like certain yeah. colors stand out, really pop and other ones are more like muted. I think I might have somebody that I could bring on the show to talk with us about this stuff. I know I brought up the Bay thing to you in the once in the past mm-hmm. because like Armageddon... The island, the Transformer movies, like the like the lighting and coloration is always exactly the same, and also everyone's always sweaty and it has grease and grime on their face. Right. Like everyone is dirty all the time in those movies. Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. It's like that over like exposed look. Like it's like you know that feeling you get if you're like when you just realize you're too drunk <laughs> and everything's like a little too bright because you're eyes are dilated okay like that's what all of his movies look like right <laughs> like you know what i'm talking about yeah that's great i love that yeah but it, it it is funny it's very cool to especially if you start to really get into specific directors and like you when you're watching them and you you notice that like oh like i love i love that i can call out a nolan movie like i love that like because i i love his movies then <laughs> it's just like when i see them like so exciting, <laughs> you know. It, he's... I don't love that I can call out Michael Bay movies. Yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> I'll be fair though. Even though it's like, I don't love that I'm in that boat with you. Over the top, like I genuinely enjoy um, Armageddon. Yeah. Um, yeah. and surprisingly, The Island is actually a really good movie. And if anyone tells you otherwise. Gently slap them or something. I've seen it once a long time ago. I don't remember disliking it, but I don't remember like loving it or anything like that. I didn't get to see it until a couple years ago. It came out a little over ten years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. I really like that movie. I think he accidentally made a good movie. <laughs> 
like not that it was like enjoyable that like it's actually like i i believe it's a quality movie yeah there's um no on the same topic of like the the way that they shoot things like christopher nolan is like you know the constant use of han zimmer 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 zimmerman zimmer han zimmer um and uh and like certain even certain actors it just sets a it's just like this this perfect like line through all of his movies like there's so much that is very similar between them um and the choice of Hans Zimmer for the music is just oh, it's just perfection i i listen to those i i listen to the the tracks for these movies like while i'm working cuz i just i find them to be fantastic yeah i know we talked about it with the 40th episode the 40th anniversary episode for star wars yeah um, where Zimmer almost becomes a character, the way that John Williams is a, is almost his own character in right. the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's very cool. I love it. Yeah, like, and I guess even though I, if you're gonna do, if you're gonna have like an actual composer doing like a score and stuff like that, I like more. I don't know if I want to necessarily more substance, but like I like having actual like themes and songs. But Zimmer does work perfectly, even though it is just the dark, ominous tones or the big crescendoing tones. I think it fits everything there. Like, I, yeah. so like, like what you're saying, yeah. I, he does do a really good job for what, like, it fits really well. Well, no, it's and that's his. I mean, his style is not just that. Like that, that usually is starting off a track or ending or it's something in the middle. It's just like it's usually it's just a piece of it to accent something that's going on on screen. But there is like there's legitimate songs in his movies that are just well yeah like inception there's definitely real music in it right and interstellar even batman there are there are songs in there that are just they're really they're really well done but like i think interstellar is the one that i i'll listen to that soundtrack over and over again it's it's beautiful no unfortunately i don't have a reference point for that i, I know eventually you said i i've kind of almost been holding off watching it i think it's just showed to watch up. it together i that i think i know you said that um, yeah. So I guess we'll have to find out the time to do that. I know you said you want to watch it on the uh, the screen at my house. Absolutely. And you'll be able to hear that beautiful music on the surround sound. Uh, on that giant wall. Yeah, on the giant wall, which I'm half watching over computer. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think it, I mean, I think we've we've proven it. This movie is fantastic. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, so there's one other like kind of note that I have here, if you you want to talk about it or not, it's up to you. Hit me. Um, But it's kind of right along with what you just said. Um, Like kind of the specifics of why this movie works specifically. Like I really enjoy Batman begins and I like the dark Knight rises, but this movie, even though it's very much part of this universe, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it grounded along. Yeah. It Um, does. So, do you want to talk about that yeah. at all? Yeah, for sure. Um, do you, when you say this stands alone, you mean it stands alone from the other two in the trilogy? Both that and from other superhero movies in general. Well, yeah, I mean these three movies stand apart from everything else that's being done in the space for sure. Um, it, there's as as crazy and over the top as certain aspects of it are. It is semi realistic. Well, that's a big thing for me. That's one of the kind of mini points I put down here. Um, just how grounded the movie is. Mm-hmm. 
is definitely to its credit because with Marvel and also now with the new the extended universe in DC, um, they're really leaning into and embracing the unnatural, the like the cosmic, the you know all that sort of stuff. Um, which when you get to including Batman and Wonder Woman is you don't have a choice, right? Right. Um, whereas this one, you know, you don't have a Mr. Freeze or a Poison Ivy. The most unrealistic of them is Bane. And even in that, they watered Bane down way more than what it was in the Schumacher, oh, yeah. where he's on steroids in his eyeballs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think definitely the, the idea of how grounded it is um, is one of the reasons that you can kind of go there. Because I think it's in the same vein, if you want to look at the Marvel ones, the only one that's kind of in that same light, um, to my mind, was kind of Ant-Man. Okay. Where, you know, the suits themselves were kind of funky, but they're still not as over the top as, like, Iron Man is. Mm-hmm. At least in my mind. You know, I guess you can agree or disagree with that. Um, but that movie, you know, until you include him in Civil War... Ant-Man, that story is pretty grounded. You know, it's just a guy, and he has a, a cool suit, but, you know, everything is kind of scaled, right? Because when he's tiny, he's fighting normal-sized people, or he's fighting another tiny person. Right. And he doesn't do the gigantic thing, right? Right. So, and that was one of the reasons that movie works so well. And also, the whole idea of, like, that they're both heist movies. Mm-hmm. And we see two different, like, sides of that same... Um, like coin right because in Ant-Man you have them doing the heists and in Batman or in the Dark Knight you have him stopping the heists Mm -hmm. either way either way they're both like heist movies for at least the majority of the run with the Dark Knight is heist movies right right? it changes in the the final third yeah yeah for sure Uh, it it is that's definitely that's definitely part of it like it I think because they they created they use these same characters that they're just similar in name only and obviously and there's some character traits they're not over the top like they are in the comic books in yeah. in Bat in the uh, the Nolan trilogy, um, I mean the closest thing to being over the top is obviously like you mentioned is Bane but he's not he's still not like they they do they do something there they make it they make it so that it's like oh yeah he's still improbable well, not impossible <laughs> yeah. But um, and it, it does it, it it the realism there kind of it definitely makes it unique um to these other these other comic book movies and then I actually think that it, it's very possible that, that is part of the reason why the other like Man of Steel Man of Steel was like oh, it was okay it wasn't it wasn't great by any means and obviously the stuff that followed was uh, was not, eh, until Wonder Woman came out but um. I don't. I feel like with Man of Steel, it's like they tried to okay. Let's put Superman in a world like the one from the Nolan trilogy, and it's like no, it doesn't hold up. It's not. <laughs> you can't do that. It's not. Well, it's not going to work. Like, it was just Nolan esque. It wasn't Nolan doing. Right, but I don't think Nolan would have done it. <laughs> That's also probably true. I know um, he was involved. Huh? I know he was involved. Yeah, although I really question how much because I, do I don't too. feel any Nolan influence. It right. feels like except the except he got Hans on there. 
Well, he got Hans on there, and I guess maybe kind of the... Hans. <laughs> That's all I can think of when I hear his name. Uh. I, I mean, I guess maybe kind of the stoicism and kind of the like the solemn tone. Although you get a lot of that even with 300. So, I mean, it's not mm. even like you can say that's not something that Snyder would do. But that's a stark, that's a Zack Snyder movie that is taking itself more seriously. Because that's why 300 works with the Snyder style is because it yeah. doesn't take itself seriously. Mm-hmm. It knows it's ridiculous. And by leaning into it, that makes the movie work. This movie wants to be taken seriously and takes itself seriously, but I don't think Snyder can actually pull that off. Yeah. God, the more it's a miracle that they of how well they pulled off Wonder Woman. Yeah. With where with, with where everything has gone. Yeah. How did we stray so far from this movie? I mean that that was a. I mean we're kind of within the same area code. <laughs> Um, but the, the kind of the final thought that I had on why the Dark Knight stands apart from its own trilogy is kind of in, I guess they're kind of two different points that are like closely linked together. Um, it's the race against time aspect. Mm-hmm. You get like a little taste of it at the end of each of those other movies, whereas this one always feels like it's building ahead of steam. And then yeah. you finally say go and you go, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, and that it's paced so well, there are major pacing issues with The Dark Knight Rises. And there are not, I wouldn't say major, but noticeable pacing issues with Batman Begins. Right. The the pacing with The the Dark Knight is you're on the edge of your seat the entire goddamn time and you feel like you're going to have a heart attack (laughs) because it's just... There's just too much. Yeah. It's too much. Like, <laughs> uh, like they they do a decent job of within a within a scene speeding up or slowing down what's going yep. on, but you're left with a constant flow of tension. You know, they may adjust a little bit down here, a little yep. bit up there, but you're always got that tension. Like you said, you're hanging on the edge of your seat. So there's a, a consistency that's driving you towards the end, but still allowing you to slow down a little bit for a scene where. Bruce is going to just talk to Rachel quietly or talk to Alfred quietly or aggressive where you get that. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, as you're watching the video of the Joker about to murder the shit out of this innocent dude. Mm-hmm. That, that music, that, that sound, right? That's how the beginning, that's how the, that's how the opening rises so well. And then it goes, whoop. As it yeah. shows the logo and goes into the screen, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. And you should love it, too. Listeners. Oh, definitely. Listeners. We love it. You should love it, too. <laughs> um, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this sucker up? Uh, No, that's pretty much it. I think we, um, we got all that I wanted to talk about. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we pretty much had everything for me as well. Uh, so that's it for this week's Flicks in the Six. We're a little bit late this week. This one's coming out probably Tuesday morning. Um, but, you know, it's here. You yeah, know. We you, you know because you're listening. So enjoy. <laughs> um, uh, so check out SpinTune.com to catch a new episode every Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and a new article <laughs> every Thursday. 
Uh, if you want to keep the conversation going, you could reach us at The Spin Tune on Twitter and Facebook or email thespintune at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-S-P-I-N-C-H-O-O-N at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.